What's up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brantlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And I'm Robert Denfeld out in Long Beach, California. So in this episode, we're going to give you our top five movie moms in celebration of Mother's Day and introduce a new reoccurring segment. But we first wanted to give a uh, shout out to everyone that's been listening uh, for their ongoing support. You know, since we launched back in February, this is our ninth episode. And, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into making these episodes quality for you guys. So it really means a lot that you enjoy it or giving us good feedback. But, you know, we definitely want to, uh, you know, kindly ask everyone if they could each spread the word uh, a bit. You know, I'm sure you know a friend, family member, colleague, etc. who's into pop culture, whether it's music, movies, TV, award shows, anything we talk about. So um, if you know that person, just please let them know about this podcast. It's free. We're available on (laughs) iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Um, Yeah, we just really appreciate spreading the word as we grow. So just wanted to call that out. Yeah, And now let's yeah, let's get into this episode. Rob, do you want to introduce a uh, new segment we put together? Yeah, so this segment is going to be a reoccurring thing. Um, not every episode, but every now and then. And it's going to be called, Where's Your Head At? Yo. Where's your head at? And it's not going to be every single episode, but maybe every few or whatever works for us. Um, the idea behind this segment is basically that we were looking for a way to individually bring up and talk about some some more obscure uh, pop culture related items at times and and maybe just something that one of us is currently consuming but the other hasn't gotten to yet or you know hasn't hasn't piqued their interest or whatever um, and so you know obviously we want to talk about things that we've both seen or listened to as much as possible but just with the reality of our busy lives and schedules and you know sometimes differing tastes uh we don't always consume the same stuff so um this is this segment allows us to you know talk about more topics um some smaller niche items at times and uh give you guys uh as many recommendations and reviews as possible um, and allows Ben and I to to learn a little bit about what the other is enjoying, and uh, yeah, it just allows us to sort of rant on our own personal things, uh, you know, if we like. So, without further ado, um, Benji, where's your head at? Nice, thanks for that intro, Rob. So, where my head at is right now, I'm going to start off with this uh, YouTube music reaction critic this guy named Big Quint. Rob, have you ever heard of this guy? I have never heard that name in my life. <laughs> Big Quint. Okay. okay. So this guy has been around for a few years. He actually has like nearly 300,000 subscribers on YouTube. He's got a pretty nice user base. Okay. This is a, I would say he's a fairly large African-American male. And basically his shtick is he films himself reacting to new rap releases. So whether it's the new Kendrick album or Chance the Rapper, Kanye, Drake, J. Cole, etc. And he basically films himself reacting to hearing that song or album for the first time. And what I really love about this guy is, I mean, he's clearly just incredibly passionate about hip hop. But when he listens to the music, just like his facial expressions <laughs> are so ridiculous. Like he's definitely trying to be funny and comedic. Like right. At the end of the day, this is like they're more like comedy videos, but he is very legitimately passionate about what he's hearing. But uh-huh. he has like I encourage everyone that's listening to go to his YouTube channel. I believe it's just Big Quint YouTube and you'll find it. 
And he has like this look of like disgust when he first hears like a new rhyme or beat. Uh-huh. His eyes like light up like a Christmas tree. He does all these like crazy dance moves and arm motions and like screams and shouts. Like for example, his his first reaction to listening to Kendrick's humble, he literally breaks like the chair he's sitting in and like runs <laughs> out of the room and back in. And it's just like a really fun uh, uh, review guy that I, I don't know. I, I just really get a big kick out of. Yeah. Um, midway uh, sounds through, awesome. Yeah. Midway through each video, he usually eats uh, <laughs> something just to kind of break it up. And right. um, yeah, I, 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 one thing is I don't understand how his neighbors tolerate him. Cause this dude is literally screaming <laughs> uh, during, during these reaction videos. I don't know if he gives like a waiver, be like, Hey, between yeah. you know, the hours of two and four today, I'm freaking <laughs> out. Just do not evict me. But uh, anyway, that is the big Quint, and that is my first where's your head at topic. Real quick, is that Q-U-I-N-T or Q-U-E-N-T? It's good question. It is Q-U-I-N-T, I believe. Okay, okay. Um, kind of like Quint, Quint from Jaws. So gotcha. that's my first hit. My next one, kind of switching gears, but keeping it in the music space, but definitely not the hip-hop space, is the new album from the band Paramore. Ooh. Uh, this is their album. Yeah, so it's called After Laughter. It came out uh, just this past Friday. It's their fifth studio album. And Paramore, they've been around for about 12 years, actually. They're yeah. one of those bands that survived kind of the emo era that they started in. This is like <laughs> back in the mid-aughts when emo and screamo and like uh-huh. you know that type of like whiny music <laughs> like they came up in that and were kind of considered a part of that scene but they were able to you know sustain past it and um i think they're just like a legitimately like really good rock band just let me cry a little bit longer i ain't gonna smile if i don't want to So this album, After Laughter, it's very 80s influenced. Um, It kind of reminds me of like a Fleetwood Mac in a certain sense. It's very uh, bright and tropical, has a a kind of a Caribbean vibe to it. And it's just, it's really catchy. It's light. It has like really good summer vibes to it. Um, It's fairly like one dimensional, but I would say it's a good dimension to be in. Um, (laughs) It's just, yeah, it's feel good. It's straightforward. And I really like the singer that Haley Williams, who's been the singer since it started. Amazing. She's kind of like, yeah, the foundation. And it's really, yeah, she's like really, she's like, you know, five foot, like seven, but has a really powerful voice. Yeah. She's got this nice, like raspy tone to it. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really feeling this album and I think it's going to be one I'm going to be playing a lot this summer. So that is my my second hit. And then to round off my Where's Yo Head At items, uh, this is something, Rob, I know we both listened to in the last few days, Uh but it is a podcast episode. Yes, we're going to be recommending a podcast within a podcast. on a podcast. Because this one (laughs) is on a podcast. So um, this is the Bill Simmons podcast episode that he did with Aziz Ansari. So this is basically the first time uh, Simmons has had Aziz on as a guest. It's an hour and a half. And... In this, in this episode, Aziz talks about everything from his creative process and, and writing and directing season two of Master of None, which is a show we just talked about in our last mm-hmm. episode, uh, how he lived in Italy for months, taking pasta classes and watching European cinema to kind <laughs> of take that influence and use yeah. it for um, this, this upcoming season. 
Uh, I talks love about that. hosting SNL for the first time. Yeah, uh-huh. no, it's I, I I had to like eat pasta that night. After I know, <laughs> it was right. such a pasta fiend. Uh-huh. But really, like my favorite part of this of this episode is these incredible stories that Aziz has hanging out with Kanye and Jay-Z during the Watch yeah. the Throne recording sessions. Oh man, and, that like, was so great. <laughs> I was like, the story where it, Aziz talks about, like there's this time where Kanye texts him. He's like, oh, I'm in the lobby of this hotel in New York. Like, come meet me. And he's like, oh, are we just going to have like tea or something? Right. And he comes down with his laptop and he plays the beat for New Slaves, the song off Yeezus, and literally just in the lobby, just raps like crazy to Aziz, like in yeah. this very public setting. <laughs> and I started like laughing out loud on the subway as I was listening to it. Yeah, yeah it he like, said Kanye did the entire song just like off the top of his head, and and yeah, yeah. Aziz was like, there are people just like eating eggs down there. <laughs> no, he's like, oh, uh, so I'll have the uh, eggs Benedict, though. You know, like he's like, he's like freaking out, but... um. You know, this episode, it also gets, you know, emotional. Like, Bill brings up the death of Harris Whittles, who is he's right. worked closely with on Parks and Rec. Uh-huh. And, yeah. And the for, first season you know, of Master fa- of None. Yeah, yeah. And it's just such a tragic death. I mean, I'm yeah. sure, you know, this is the guy who started Humble Brag. It was, like, clearly, like, right. a huge talent that was very beloved in the comedy world. And it's yeah. still, it happened, like, two years ago, but it's still, like, a very raw and open wound. And, like, yeah. Simmons, like, I mean, he just, he's become such a great interviewer. Um, I was going to say. I was going to say, like, he kind of reminds me of... Uh, you know, like Howard Stern or Martin mm-hmm. Marin and how he gets 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 guests to open up and yeah. really speak candidly. Yeah. Make them feel comfortable. Um, he's good at asking like simple yet effective questions, like ones that kind of everyone has on their mind, but you almost like kind of overlook because like, oh, that's so simple. But right. it's stuff like you want to hear like asked and he's just great at follow ups. It's one of my all time favorite episodes. Yeah. Um, it's free to download. You should really check it. It's just a great conversation. And um, Aziz is like a really interesting guy. I mean, I, he's part of like this millennial generation, but I would say he's kind of like an old soul in a way. Like he Definitely. doesn't use his, he talks about how like he doesn't use his phone at all. Like he stays off social media. Yeah, he doesn't use social media anymore. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, I think from afar his reputation of like, oh, that guy's like total millennial, but he's really right. not in a, in a lot of ways. So it's, yeah. it's really worth like checking out. And I, yeah, I love this episode. Yeah, if you like Aziz from Parks and Rec or or Master of None or his stand up, it's it's interesting to hear like this long form interview. And I, like you said, Bill Simmons has become one of the best that I know of, uh, sort of long form interviewers. And yeah. he gets he he makes he just has this way of making people feel really comfortable. It seems like and and uh, Aziz even pointed this out. He's like, this is really fun, you know. Like most of these press junkets, I'm just you know, spouting off uh, canned answers and like the same old stuff, but we're just like sitting here talking about life and and random stuff. Um, yeah. And yeah, all the stuff about uh, his writing process and like his rehearsing the uh, the SNL set at the Comedy Cellar, all that stuff was really really cool in here, and it just it shows you like some insight into the comedy world and how how the comedians like share share ethic. together yeah and their work ethic and and how they prepare for like a big set in their their career or whatever um mm-hmm. i some quotes i had in here um aziz <laughs> yeah. has been uh traveling abroad for uh you know he went to japan and he went to italy to sort of uh Im- immerse himself into the character of of uh dev on master of none and just like see what it would be like to live abroad by yourself and and do what he does on the show and he said uh 
it's kind of impacted his his writing and his life so much. He's like, uh, you know, you have the best ideas when you're in the shower. This is like putting your whole life in the shower. And I was like, yeah, that's a that kind of struck me. That quote just, I was like, damn, that's a it's a really good thought. And um, I, I yeah, like you said, the stuff about Kanye and Jay Z is just awesome and and funny. And it's cool to hear him. Uh, you know, he was in the Otis video for their Watch the Throne <laughs> yeah. album and. Uh, yeah, just some of the stories he had were really the bit cool about and the, uh, entertaining. The briefcases, like he gets like a yeah, yeah, <laughs> trying yeah, on different briefcases to right, see which looks cooler. <laughs> stuff like you would only see in like a like a studio session of like rap superstars, right? Like you know, yeah, it, it's like yeah. total like it, it, it. Only in that instance is that something that would happen. So yeah, yeah, I I really I've recommended this to a, a few few other people who have checked it out and said they really enjoyed it. So um, so yeah, Rod, do you had uh, two other uh, where's your head at uh, topics? Do you wanna do you wanna hit those up? Yes. Yeah, so I'm gonna start. I'm gonna try to do my best to keep this concise and tight. But <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna start with the Great British Bake Off. Or as it's Ooh, known to, I heard you talk about this. Yeah, um, I'm I'm very <laughs> passionate about it. No, uh, <laughs> it's known to American audiences as the Great British Baking Show. They they changed the name for American audiences, but um, it's a competition uh, cooking baking show. Uh, obviously, a British show. Um, it started in 2010 on BBC Two and and ran for four seasons, and it became Britain's most popular. Uh, like reality competition show. So they moved it to BBC One uh, for seasons four through seven. And then those seasons also aired simultaneously on PBS in the US. So uh, that, you know, it exposed it to American audiences. Um, you can now watch those those three seasons on Netflix. Uh, it's, it's presented as season one through three on Netflix, but really it's season five through seven. So of the of the show, so you'll notice that yeah. uh, they've already like got their rhythm down, and it's it's like a seamless uh, show. I, I feel like I'm explaining the the Star Wars franchise here, like <laughs> right. it's, you it's know, the it's, British Bake Off. I mean, yeah, it's, it's there's yeah, not it's too really, much to it. Yeah, you're well, really you, watching um, seasons five through seven. Um, so what <laughs> I love about this show, yeah. uh, let, me, let me get away from that. Um, yeah. The two hosts, Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood, are just are those real they're, names. They're these Mary two, Berry and Paul yeah, Hollywood. Mary Berry, yeah, Mary Berry is this older lady. Um, she's a, a cook writer. She's she's written like seventy cookbooks or something, and she's just well known in Britain. And she's just like the most charming, uh, just joyous. Everything she says just sort of like makes me happy. Uh, I can't Great think British of a better accent, word. I assume great british accent she wears yeah, like amazing love a good british accent yeah she wears like floral sport coats all the time and she says she says things are scrummy which like Ooh. just makes me feel like warm warm inside i'm bringing that into my vocabulary <laughs> um, scrummy yeah dude it's a it's a great description for bakes scrummy. but um it this and then paul hollywood is like the perfect contrast judge um he he is the one that's like a little more stern. He's a professional baker and he's kind of like a hard ass at times, but he's just, he's he really knows what he's talking about and he's, he's a fair judge. Um, and then it's hosted, the show is hosted by these two uh, British uh, comedian, this sort of uh, British comedian duo, uh, Mel and Sue. Um, I forget their last names anyway. Sue Perkins and Mel Giedrich or 
Gaidroik or something. Um, they apparently have been hosting shows on in the UK f- since 1988. So they're and but they're not that old. They're like they're probably in their 40s. So they they must have started when they were really young. Um, and they just have they bring like this air of comedy and lightness to every single episode. Another factor of why I love this is that these are amateur bakers and they they like it's not too pretentious like uh, most yeah, uh, like it, that could be you up there basically right yeah, yeah. and they, <laughs> they make yeah. like real hard errors and uh you know they like really screw up it's very human yeah it's very human yeah. drama like they 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 don't hide or shy away from like screwing up and and laughing about it or but they all i mean it's all it's they take it very seriously and it's like this big competition, yeah, competition. but um yeah, it's just it's different from American cooking shows where it's like super serious and like berated and yeah, like Hell's Kitchen where you're just like screamed at by someone. And right, it's it's very it's, it's very it has like a familial feel and like uh, there's they all become friends, you know, and they don't show any of like the drama outside of the tent or whatever, you know. It's all it's, it's all purely contained. about baking. Yeah, it's about baking, and you know they do I respect that. Yeah, they do three bakes each episode, signature bake, technical bake, and showstopper bake, and each episode is themed, so it'll be like cake week, or pie and tart week, or pastry week, uh, biscuits week, mm-hmm. and they're, they're just told to, uh, the first uh, signature bake they're able to practice at home, and then they come to the tent over the weekend and and do their signature bake and then the technical bake is like this uh surprise recipe that they they haven't heard of before uh and it's one of the the judges recipes and it's really challenging or whatever and then the showstopper is like the big you know they get five hours and they it's the showstopper piece for the week and you know each week obviously somebody goes home and somebody is named star baker uh, but anyway, it's it's just a really cool show. If you like cooking shows or you're into baking at all, and even if you're not, like, I don't bake, <laughs> you know, period. Uh, but I love this yeah, show. Yeah. It's just super entertaining. There's something about, like, the British accents and the music, and it's very soothing, and I don't know. It's just it's just a fun show. I think people will like it. Nice. Have you seen it at all? I don't no, know I, the only way I've heard of it is, I think, from you, actually. But, okay, okay. Uh, it sounds it sounds delightful. It is. It is. That's a perfect word for it. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> um, okay, so my second "Where's Your Head At" topic is the S Town podcast. Mm. Um, so this is a podcast, um, seven a little part more well known than the Bake Show. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, bacon's pretty popular. Don't sleep on it. Right. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> but I know this has been in like this is still like in the the top like 10 podcast charts yeah yeah it's kind of blowing up right now um it started it i think the first episode was released in march and uh every every week mm-hmm. uh, one more but there's only seven total so it's it's completed its run now anyway it's it's a production of serial productions and this american life and people who are podcast listeners may be familiar with uh the serial podcast um yeah which kind of blew up in 2014 this is it's much different content-wise, but it, it oh, yeah. it's kind of similar in, in that it's like a long-form storytelling podcast. Basically, what it is is this: the host, Brian Reed, uh, was contacted by this guy named John B. McLemore in, uh, in, Alab- in Woodstock, Alabama, and he calls it s-town and you can you can fill in the blank of what s-town means <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know uh we don't want to get the explicit on this episode <laughs> um so 
Um, John contacts Brian, basically saying, like, there's this mysterious murder that happened in my town, and I want you and your radio production to come down and, and like, you know, get some audio. Investigate and, it. Yeah, investigate this yeah. murder and see if there's a story here or whatever. But it becomes pretty apparent uh, quickly that there's more to this place and to John himself. And he's this really interesting figure. Yeah. Um, really like genius level um, in a way. And mm-hmm. uh, he's just, it, it, it becomes apparent that it's kind of a ploy for him to get Brian down here to kind of do the John B. McLemore story. I think it was his intention to like, he just wanted to expose the world to his story. So, and, and it's a very interesting one. Um, if, yeah, it's really it's about. Really, so this is. Oh, go ahead. I, I was gonna say I've listened to. I listened to the first three. There is a shocking moment that anyone who's listened to it will know. What I'm. T- I'm not gonna spoil yeah. it here, but at the end of the second episode, that really hooks you, mm-hmm. and is very well done. It was just one of those instances where I was like, uh, it's like another four hours to go. I'd rather listen to some other podcasts, and right. I kind of just my interest kind of trailed off, but. This guy, yeah, John B. Matt is a fascinating individual and like his he's like super interested in like climate change and like making clocks and like has like right. is like really eccentric and <laughs> well, he's kind of the driving force of why it's interesting. But it's it, it's yeah. a nice like uh portrayal of this part of the country that isn't talked about much at all, like the yeah. deep, deep south and stuff. So Yeah. And for for people that like aren't big podcast people or maybe only listen to our podcast, uh or prefer like a a long long form storytelling or they don't like podcasts but they like audiobooks maybe uh this is basically like a novel in podcast form and you like hear you hear the characters voices rather than read and imagine what they sound like so it basically is like a novel i felt that as as i was listening to it and so if somebody asked you what this show is about like what is this story about it's, it's almost impossible to summarize, but I, I made a quick list that I just want to read off some bullets real quick. So <laughs> clockmaking and horology, and horology is the study of time or mechanical timekeeping devices. That's an oversaturated topic. There's too many <laughs> podcasts out about that, so no. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. It's Yeah, I've heard enough. Uh, climate change and the energy crisis facing humanity. Uh, degradation of human morality. Ooh. It's about sexuality, love, and Brokeback Mountain. Uh, time and space, genius, depression, and the human condition, familial estate disputes, hedge mazes, the value of gold and treasure hunting, murder and suicide, corruption and greed in local government, friendship, companionship, and parenting, and lastly, tattooing, nipple piercing, and addiction to pain. So... (laughs) So there um, is that's just like that's just like off the top of my head. (laughs) Yeah, like off the top of my head. I just after listening to the seventh episode, I was like, what is this show about? Like, what was this about? Because I don't know how to describe it. So that was just the quick list I made. It it hits on all sorts of topics. Um, It's really, really entertaining. Brian Reed, uh, the producer and and sort of the host and the guy who went down and and met all of these people and, you know, interviewed everybody and, and lived this story his his voice and personality just like fit the fit the story so perfectly and he's very like empathetic and curious and in the way that he approaches the story um and you just sort of like feel his sadness and and all of what he experienced going through this story um and yeah i 
I highly recommend it. Uh, it's it's really cool. It's seven hours. You'll I think you'll be hooked, like you said, after the second episode. Um, the last few episodes are really strong as well. Um, so yeah, that's uh, S Town. You can find it on you know iTunes or podcast app or actually uh, S Town Pod. Yeah, stownpodcast.org also if you prefer nice. web-based uh, listening. So that yeah, is that's, the that's all I have. Yeah, I mean that is in conclusion of our first where's your head at. Uh, as Rob mentioned, this will be a reoccurring segment, so uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed that format and you can look forward to hearing more about it in future episodes. So, let's transition into our top 5 segment of this episode, which is top 5 movie moms. So this is to celebrate, we had this idea to kind of celebrate Mother's Day. Happy Mother's um, Day. And we wanted to do, yeah, we want to shout out to all the moms out there, including our own. Sorry yes. we couldn't uh, either of us be there for be Mother's there. Day, um, but yeah. this, is our, this is our way to make up for it. Um, so we wanted to do a ranking of our, our, our top five movie moms, and we just want to say that these are kind of the most iconic moms in movie history. We're not right. saying these are the, the quote-unquote best moms or like people that we would want as moms like some of these characters are very broken and you know not not necessarily the best but as far as uh just how iconic and memorable and memorable yeah in movie history and i would also Um, add add, like you say movie history i also would add it's it's sort of skewed for our lifetime and our own personal experience like Mm -hmm. you know obviously some some of the older moms in cinema history didn't make the list just because they're not they're not as impactful in our own lives, but anyway. Yeah, totally. So, um, Rob, I know you you said earlier that this list has, quote, ruined your week and it, that you've <laughs> lost sleep over it because yeah. it's so hard to to nail down a top five. Um, it really has. Take I've, it away I've been with your struggling. first five. Yeah, I've yeah, been right. struggling. Uh, you quit this your list... job. You yeah, want, you know, yeah. You're homeless now. Yeah, no. It's uh, it, it's hard to do a top five. But uh, how about you kick things off with with your number five? Okay. Uh, and I have to credit my girlfriend Natalie for this idea. Um, she thought of the oh, idea nice. for top movie moms, and we thought it fit perfectly for Mother's Day. So we decided to run with it. Um, like you said, it's I've been struggling with this. I've been changing my mind. Even even this morning while preparing, uh, I was sort of questioning questioned my, my picks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, number five, I'm going to go with Holly Hunter as Helen Parr or Elastigirl in The Incredibles. Mm. Oh, what a trooper. I'm so proud of you. Thanks, Mom. I wanted to have an animated mom in here because mm. uh, there are a lot of great and iconic, like uh, you know, cartoon moms, and and obviously the the whole performance is based on their voice. So a big part of motherhood is just you remember your mother's voice and uh, you know her singing to you or her you know teaching you valuable lessons and things. So it it really cuts to the core of that and. Uh, Holly Hunter's voice uh, she's from Georgia and she has this accent and it just um, it's just like sort of a wise and motherly quality to it and uh, you know it's it just 
her her voice is what really stands out to me and obviously this uh in this movie she's able to manage a family of uh superheroes who all have you know unique and uh powerful abilities and she actually like saves their saves their lives at times in the in the film and good quality you know she's able to yeah she's able to uh sort of keep keep a somewhat normal life for her kids and and that's very important and i also wanted to shout out <coughs> Um, Holly Hunter as well in the movie Raising Arizona and that's kind of why this voice stuck oh, out to me because yeah. I already knew her from from that movie with Nicolas Cage the Coen Brothers film uh, she's a great mother in that movie as well she she actually uh, kidnaps her child uh, anyway <laughs> long story not that's as good a, of a mom that's there, a great mother yeah, as well yeah, yeah. And also shout out real quick to Andy's mom and Toy Story. I know I'm going with like multiple people here, but the uh, the other animated mom I was thinking of was Andy's mom because yeah, I thought of any, her too. Any yeah, any mom that buys that many toys for their kid is a great oh, mom. So props. <laughs> All right, so why don't you start with your number five? Yeah, kind of keeping it with kind of more childhood type movies, even though this one came out much before uh, The Incredibles. But I'm gonna go with. Kate McAllister and Home Alone. <laughs> Come on! Uh, so this Love is it. Kevin's mom played. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Home Alone is a staple of our childhoods. And uh, it's played by Catherine O'Hara. Kevin! I just wanted to say that. Um, that's that's her. That's probably her most iconic line. Um, and I got to say that the McAllister family in, in the Home Alone 1 and 2, they're, they're all pretty awful humans i mean you have you have the jerk of you know uncle frank is a complete jerk right um you got the tarantula tarantula collecting buzz the brother buzz who corrects yeah. tarantulas and has an ugly girlfriend and I, I don't know he's he's a nightmare you have uh the, the bedwetting fuller yeah the the one of his cousins <laughs> who, who he wets the bed so and, and you know and there's a bunch of other characters that just like aren't like people are like oh i wish they were in my family but the mom really stands out as a beacon of light in the McAllister family. And mm-hmm. I think she's she's kind of like the only one who truly cares about Kevin, played by Macaulay Culkin, when he right. gets left home alone. I mean, she's bartering with, you know, airline attendants, uh, passengers, police officers. Try, you know, this is back in the age where, you know, this movie could not exist now because now it's like, oh, just call their cell phone or, you know, whatever. Right. But right. back then, and, and, you know, she's such a good mom that she drags herself across the country in a freaking polka bus. Yeah. Shout Doesn't out she... to John Candy, R.I.P. Love it. But that's that... a lot. I mean, a polka bus like that. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, not to hate on polka, but that sounds like one of the most miserable genres <laughs> yeah. to be trapped on a bus for. I mean, God. And uh, doesn't she you know, leave like she... France in the in Lost in New York to come back? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. France is a beautiful. I mean, that's right. that's props too. Like just to, to leave France, even though I think it's like raining the entire time they're there. Right. <laughs> but um. I will say at the same time, when you lose your son on consecutive vacations, you do lose some mom points. Nonetheless, she is in my top five. Kate McAllister, Home Alone. Rob, what's your number four? All right. Number four, for all the stepmoms out there, I want to shout out, and I, I am a person with a stepmom as well. Um, mm. I wanted to probably shout out the most iconic stepmom in cinema history, mm. who is Julie Andrews as Maria Von Trapp in The Sound of Music. This is my mom's favorite movie, actually. Oh, just a my, shout out of, to my mom. <laughs> perfect. And it's one of my yeah, mom's yeah. favorites as well. So that's why I definitely had to have it on the list. Yeah. So she, she you know, she comes into this household, uh, a widowed 
the widowed uh, military father, Captain Von Trapp, uh, lost his wife, and so these they have seven kids, and it's it's this really you know ranging from like five to sixteen or whatever, sixteen going on seventeen. Um, uh, anyway, uh, she's able to sort of manage this household of seven kids and seemingly teach them like endless endless valuable lessons and yeah really well choreographed song and dance numbers um has a great voice yeah her voice is is a marvel um she you know she deals with some nazis in the film she wins over the father and eventually (laughs) you know wins his hand in marriage and becomes their their official stepmother Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things. I'm struck by you instantly sort of think of uh, the scene in the in the bed with all of the kids during the bad thunderstorm where she she starts and breaks out into my favorite things like these are a few of my favorite things that song and and that that song and other songs in the film just you know so memorable in in film history and it's one of the most iconic not just moms but characters in in movie history so that's my number four what is what about you Ben? So my number four, uh, kind of switching gears as far as genres go, uh-huh. from Sound of Music to Rosemary's Baby, oh, yeah. uh, the horror classic from 1968. So um, this is, yeah, character's name is Rosemary Woodhouse. It's played by uh, Mia Farrow. And, you know, this isn't a pleasant situation that she finds herself in. I mean, she's basically uh, giving birth to the spawn of the devil. And uh, you're kind of rooting for her throughout the movie because in the face of all this evil that's kind of closing in around her, uh, you really just want, you know, her to be made out okay. I mean, the movie itself is like very mysterious and she, you know, if you haven't seen the movie I'm not going to go into detail how it happens because it's pretty disturbing and graphic, but it's not her choice to have the spawn of the devil. I'll say that. I'll, I'll just right. put it like that. And yeah, well um, it's right. It's one of those instances where you feel like everyone around Rosemary is crazy and they are. So you really identify with her because you see th- things from her point of view. And it's just like an amazing performance by Mia Farrow. I first saw this movie a few years ago for the first time and was blown away by it. It, went into like my top 10 horror movies of all time. And I, I, a really interesting tidbit about this performance is she was actually married to Frank Sinatra at the time. Then when she accepted this role and Frank became like really upset because he had demanded, I guess that she forego her career when they got married. Oh, so really? when she accepted this role, he was like, what the hell? And huh. he actually filed for a divorce in the middle of the filming and so that just like adds even more emotional weight to already a very emotional performance. Wow. And I didn't um, know that. yeah, that's kind of taking reality and bringing it into the performance, which yeah, I think takes takes everything to the next level as yeah. far as her being a mom. So she's not, you know, she's pregnant the time during the movie. She's not right. necessarily taking care of the spawn of the toe or anything like that, <laughs> but it is it is a very iconic performance. I think, you know, the exorcist gets a lot of run as yeah. far as like the in the, the Satan genre, but I, I, I don't know. I can make the argument that this is overall a, a better movie. So yeah. my number four is Rosemary from Rosemary's nice. baby. Rob, what's your, what's your number three? All right. So sticking in the horror, uh, drama category, I'm going to go with my number three as Shelley Duvall as Wendy Torrance in the shining. 
Mm. Uh, so this has to be one of the, if not the most tortured moms in cinema history. She <laughs> of all time. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like her character is just un, under like just amazing stress. Distress. And yeah, <laughs> she's, she's husband to the insane Jack Torrance played by Jack Nicholson. Uh, her son, Danny Torrance, uh, you know, has this imaginary friend, Tony, that, he is seemingly closer with than his own mother. You know, he he like is just a very strange and odd boy. Um, he she's living at the Overlook Hotel, which is uh, this haunted hotel. <laughs> um, she just has a really really tough winter, I'll say. Um, <laughs> and and Shelley Duvall. Um, so obviously, this film is is directed by Stanley Kubrick, who is. Uh, was known as maybe the most like perfectionist director out there. Um, you know, he was known for like his many rehearsals and many takes on certain shots. And this this film especially uh, was uh, shot for over a year, which is insane. Um, and he was he was apparently doing like fifty rehearsal takes before they even roll rolled film. So basically, um, if you've seen the film, Shelley Duvall is like crying moaning yelling you know uh screaming and yeah. just like looking genuinely horrified for like frightened yeah it, always. yeah for for a year you know and, <laughs> right. yeah. and apparently kubrick um this was not all you know by accident nothing he did was by accident i i get the feeling but uh he he was able to like put her in this stressful environment and and bring out this probably her best performance as an actress yeah um, it's kind of a demented strategy yeah exactly definitely i mean that's kind of what makes kubrick so unique and right i mean yeah you can easily make the argument that like he shouldn't have been doing this to his cast but right he was able to pull out like a truly authentic performance and there's actually a documentary that uh kubrick's daughter made that's on set that's i think part of like the bonus features on the shining dvd uh-huh. that really you see firsthand like behind the scenes of like how stressed out she was she's like yeah. chain smoking cigarettes in between takes and like just physically looks like ill and yeah. i'm sure like took like years off her life and i mean right. <laughs> Yeah, it, so anyway, well, I just and yeah, to point and out. a little more context. Uh, the notorious and and you know m- most famous shot from the film, the "Here's Johnny" scene. Here's Johnny. <laughs> Apparently, that that scene was shot over three days, and they Crazy. used sixty. 60 doors to get the shot right so she had to bring in another she door. had to repeat <laughs> it's like the most emotional emotional scene in yeah i've ever seen you know like the way she's screaming and yelling at jack and and just the horror of the entire it's gotta, scenario like, permanently is, damage you yeah as like a human yeah, just I, to go through that i mean yeah. It's, yeah her life was impacted by this role i'll say <laughs> right, it's, right it's hard right. to argue and of course she at the end you know prevails and and escapes on the the snow cat or whatever it's called uh with with danny and uh you know happily ever after we presume yeah (laughs) yeah um so nice yeah yeah what's what's your number three ben so i'm going with sarah connor from the terminator series in particular t2 judgment day which i think is the best of the series so yeah Of all the would-be fathers who came and went over the years, this thing, this machine, was the only one who measured up. In an insane world, 
it was the sanest choice. This character played by Linda Hamilton, you know, this is someone who, she's on a mission. This is a woman of purpose, and that mission is to prevent the apocalypse that no one believes her is going to happen, but she knows is going to happen. And <laughs> it's a character that knows what she wants. She starts out institutionalized in T2. She's the mother of John Connor. And um, it's a really complex character. I mean, I think she's like conflicted throughout the movie, but it's it's really kind of just astonishing development. When we first meet her in Terminator 1, she's kind of just this innocent, uh, you know, bystander, uh, you know, seemingly in the movie. And then mm-hmm. when we see her in T2, she's like this finely toned, like badass heroine oh, yeah. who's like, you know, like I said, like really on a mission. She's been doing and, her you know, push-ups say, in that, like, that asylum. Oh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And how she that scene where she escapes the asylum is, is, is just like a really well executed action scene. Uh, I could say, you know, I wish she, she could use like a day at the spa. Like she's, she's a bit <laughs> tense throughout. But I mean, given the stakes, I think that, uh, you know, it it's warranted. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say I'm not going to mention the terrible TV series on Fox that they spun her off into. I'm mainly talking about Oof. T1 and T2. I blocked and that T2 out. where she really is a mom. Yeah. Yeah. That did happen but uh t2 is one of my favorite action movies ever she's a huge part of what makes it so great and um yeah it's just an awesome action heroine character so uh that is my number three sarah connor from the terminator series um rob we're getting down to the top two what's your number two so this is extremely difficult and the ranking here is a bit sort of ambiguous but um my number two is Francis McDormand as Marge Gunderson in Fargo, the film by the Coen brothers. Yes. Um, so her ability to execute fine police work throughout this film while being <laughs> well put. Uh, se- seemingly like eight months pregnant or close to nine months pregnant is just, you know, staggering and impressive. Um, and she's just like this down to earth, uh, rational, uh, lighthearted, you know, wholesome Midwestern character. And you just know that she's going to be an amazing mother when, when the baby comes out. And, uh, her love for Norm in the story is just like so classic and her woman. Yeah. Their, their scenes together just make me laugh every single time I see the movie. Um, She's even she's even able to instill some like valuable life lessons into uh, the the bad guy in the film Peter Stormare at the end uh, after after he disposes of Steve Buscemi and the wood chipper you know she she uses the line like uh, you know there's more to life than just a little bit of money and uh, and it's a beautiful day and you know like I, I'm just I was always struck by that as like she's able to find like this. This, yeah. just bring the whole story back to reality and um, yeah it grounds it all in the kind of the absurdity of of the story at times and yeah. she she won an oscar for this role right yeah she won best actress yeah. in a leading role um and it spawned the character of you know the pregnant or the mother uh cop in the fargo tv series and mm-hmm. it, it basically like created this entire uh cult or this this show um, which is which is the show itself is is sort of all based around that that female lead that's either pregnant or or a mother. So it's a very infamous uh, role. And also shout out to Frances McDormand as Elaine Miller in Almost Famous. Mm. Um, oh, that yeah. that was almost on my list. Um, it's a very funny motherly character and uh, another you know she just has a mom. great yeah she has a great voice and uh, yeah so that's that's my number two. 
what is what's your number two getting down to it yeah so i'm gonna do someone i had to throw in a character from the the golden age of hollywood so this is bad believe this movie came out in the mid 1940s it is mary hatch bailey from it's a wonderful life the uh classic starring jimmy stewart as george bailey so this uh mary bailey is played by donna reed um you know, this movie is a complete classic. I'm not going to get into, you know, everyone knows why this movie is so great. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, she's high school sweethearts with George Bailey. She's just a very wholesome, intelligent, well-rounded, beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, in the movie, offers the money, say, from their failed honeymoon to keep George's business alive. They have four kids together. And, you know, while George is out all depressed on, you know, running around and not keeping the family together, she's taking care of all these kids. Right. So I just really respect that uh, that component of her of her character. And yeah, I mean, I just like I said, like really wholesome, uh, beautiful, an iconic role. I, I read that she says, and it's no surprise that, you know, the actress said that this was her favorite role of her entire career. Nice. Um, she wasn't nominated, which I thought was for an Oscar, which mm-hmm. I thought was was kind of ridiculous, but um, I mean, this movie stands the test of time. Uh, it's one to watch, you know, around the holidays every year, and uh, yeah, it, it's just a, a really o- iconic romance from the golden age of Hollywood. Jimmy Stewart obviously is one of the biggest actors of that time period, and I thought she was just a, a perfect companion for that. So, nice. um, yeah, I had to, I had to put put her in my top five. So without further ado, let's get down to our, our one seeds. Rob, what is your number one movie mom? All right. So this was a bit of a lifetime achievement award here. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to go with Sally Field for her role as Mrs. Gump in Ooh. Forrest Gump. You have to do the best with what God gave you. I say it's a Lifetime Achievement Award because if you look at Sally Field's IMDb page and just know her career a little bit, she just plays so many uh, iconic and and well-known mothers in, mm. in film history. She's actually won two uh, Oscars for Best Actress in a Leading Role for her roles as mothers uh, in Places in the Heart and Norma Ray. She's like, and I haven't seen either of those movies, but uh, you know, she won Best Actress for those. She's like the De Niro of uh, of moms or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, but for for me, um, her role as as Mrs. Gump is is like the iconic one, just because that was you know a big movie during my childhood and the nineties. It's almost uh, impossible to like imagine this movie without her in the role. It's uh, you know she just fits so well, and and obviously the character is is the most important figure in in Forrest's life. You know he's this slow, uh, you know, uh, challenged boy, and everything everything that he does and says sort of comes from his mother's wisdom in the movie, like all these all these life life lessons and quotes that uh she's instilled in him like lead him on this crazy you know amazing journey through life and you know obvious ones are like life's like a box of chocolates forest uh you never know what you're gonna get and forest says mom always had a way of explaining things so i could understand them um and so like you know he just lives his life based around his mother's lessons and that's just really touching she 
she runs this, uh, you know, bread and bed and breakfast and retirement home or whatever out, out of her house in Alabama. And she's a single mom for Forrest. And yeah, so I just, uh, I was struck by this role. Um, and it just jumped out at me as it had to be like the most iconic during mm. my lifetime. Yeah. Um, nice. and and obviously she's very uh she's very keen on Forrest's educa- education and is is not not um you know unwilling to go the extra mile for for her son's uh education. I'll I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh and, you know, in today's society, education, you got the parents need to right. I don't know, not not to go down that road, but um yeah, good point. So, my number 1 is Ellen Ripley from Aliens. Damn. Oh, I don't know how you managed to stay alive. But you're one brave kid, Rebecca. What'd you say? Now, you may be asking yourself, but but Ben, Ripley's not a mom. And I would say to you, you need to warm your cold, dead heart for failing <laughs> to see the motherly relationship between her and Newt, Newt in Aliens. Newt, who we've talked about. This is like the most Newt. Uh, we've <laughs> referenced Newt a lot in this podcast, uh, in other episodes. I don't know. We we have a thing for Newt. Anyway, yeah. is similar to Sarah Connor, this character, just a complete and utter badass. Like, she doesn't have time for anyone's BS. She does her job while surrounded by kind of mostly condescending males. And she's the last one standing in both Alien and Aliens and is the glue that holds everything together, even after everyone is brutally mutilated by the Xenomorphs, which are the Aliens in those films. Um, But really, she when we talk about like iconic characters, I mean, at the time, this was a totally revolutionary and groundbreaking character. Um, I think every female heroine that came after her is influenced in some way, shape or form by Ripley. And it, it challenged gender roles. There just really wasn't this type of character in an action movie played by a woman until, until alien. This was, it came out, I believe in 1979. Mm -hmm. It was way ahead of its time. You know, she's not a sidekick. She's not like eye candy or anything. She's the hero. And I think this was pretty much the first movie to, to portray a woman in that way. Uh, she was nominated for, for Best Actress in Aliens. And um, yeah, I think it's a character we're going to be remembering for the next hundred years in cinema because yeah. she really, it really was like a watershed moment as far as what, you know, it's kind of crazy that it took that long for mm-hmm. it to be, but, you know, this was back in, you know, the 70s and things were a lot different and gender roles were, were much, you know, uh, very than what they are now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta give such Ellen a badass Ripley, mom. Yeah. From for aliens and like I said, she technically not a mother, but it's very much implied in aliens the way she takes care of Newt, who's the young girl who's, uh, you know, they find on the on the ship and and just the relationship there. It's supposed to show her as as a mother. So yeah, I'm going to uh, take that assumption and make it my number one movie mom nice so i know we you know we've gone long on our top five movie moms there are a couple um other quick hits i wanted to make for honorable mentions yeah. Bob, i know you mentioned a few uh throughout your top five let me just quickly run down a few others that just missed the cut um dorothy boyd from jerry Maguire, played by renee zellweger uh-huh. i would say that is peak zellweger uh she's has a great tandem with tom cruise in that movie she's the mother of an adorable little kid you've right. seen the movie you know who i'm talking about 
She has the famous line, you had me at hello. It's probably one of the most iconic romances of, of the 90s movie era. Another person I wanted to shout out, and um, this is totally out of left field, pun intended, with the movie that this person is from. So <laughs> I know. This character doesn't even have a name. Her IMDb credit is just mom. She's barely <laughs> in the movie. But I, I guess gotta shout her out. It is the mom from the Sandlot. So this is the mom of Smalls, the main character, played by Karen Allen. She's in like four scenes, but mm-hmm. I, I grew up watching the Sandlot and she always stood out to me. And you know what I like about her, Rob? She recognizes that her her son, they move to a new town. He has no friends. Um, and she kind of says in one scene, like, enough is enough, Smalls. You know? <laughs> yeah. Get in, she says, get into trouble for God's sake. Like right. not, not too much, but just a little. It's a and just like lesson. that kind of encouragement. Yeah, very supportive. Get Smalls over the, you know, mm. off the hump. Like get him, you know, to meet people, and then that kind of kickstarts the adventure story. So, shout out to the mom from Sandlot. Uh, yeah. I support you. Um, a few others. Uh, the mom from The Exorcist. I know we yeah. talked about Rosemary's Baby. Um, yeah. You know, talk about having daughter issues, you know, when your daughter is possessed by Satan, it doesn't get much harder than that. Um, but this, that's a great performance and a classic movie. So I have to mention that. Also, one. the mom and the mom and poltergeist. Another another oh, horror yeah. movie mom that I watched that last last fall. Super yeah. dedicated to her her children. <laughs> yeah. Um, the mother from Psycho. Now, this is more yeah, of a yeah. metaphorical right. metaphorical mom and. And uh, is definitely not, you know, comparing to a few of the other more heartwarming moms on our list is mm-hmm. probably on the complete other end of that. So, uh, but nonetheless, very iconic. Yeah. This is one my my roommate John pointed out to me right before that, uh, again, very underrated, but I can't believe none, neither of us thought of the mom in The Water Boy. Oh. <laughs> the mom of, of, of Bobby Boucher. Yeah. Her name character name is just Mama Boucher, played <laughs> by Kathy Bates. Yeah. Great actress. Yeah. Talk about unconditional love, too. I mean, to support a son like that, I mean, that is that is pure unconditional love. So That's funny. shout out to Mama Boucher. Um, you know, one that other mom on I just radar. <laughs> thought of when you were talking. Yeah, when you were talking about Forrest Gump is uh-huh. um the mother in, in Boyhood, played by Patricia Arquette. Yeah, yeah. That's a really that's a really solid mom. You know, that movie just came out a few years ago. But right. uh, yeah, really, really great mom. Those are my honorable mentions. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to point those out. So I have, uh, real quick, I'm going to do this in like a minute or less. Um, yeah. I did my, I just ranked my 10 through 6 because this list tormented me and <laughs> I lost sleep over it, as Ben said. Um, anyway, so number 10, I have Catherine Keener as Missy Armitage in Get Out, Oh, something recent. Um, and just like a really, really iconic uh, movie mom that's going to go down in history, I think. Um, number nine, Diane Weist <clears throat> as, <clears throat> excuse me, Helen in Parenthood and also as Peg in Edward Scissorhands. Mm. Uh, her voice and the the actress's um, smile and voice just always like uh, struck me and she just seems like a really sweet person and good mom. Um, number eight, Diane Keaton as Nina Banks in Father of the Bride Part One and Two. Mm. I just love Diane Keaton and she's very uh, you know motherly and just seems like a really great person to be around in general. So uh, I love this the, that movie series. I grew up with them in the nineties. Number seven, I'm going to have Brie Larson as Ma in Room, which she she won the Best Actress Award for this two years ago. Um, it's an extremely memorable role and character and story. Um, and basically, she's she is the movie. Uh, her and her boy, played by, um, played by what's his name? Uh, oh, yeah, God. I forgot. Uh, it's some like 
Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jacob Tremblay. There we go. Um, all right, so lastly, number six. This was almost in my top five, almost replaced uh, Elastigirl, but Uma Thurman as Beatrix Kiddo or Black Mamba in the Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2. Not the Kill Bill, Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. Um, so just such an iconic badass female character and her her journey to you know, driven by revenge and most importantly to reconnect with her daughter who has been taken away from her. Uh, you know, she goes into a coma after being shot in the head and, and loses her child while, you know, she's in the late stages of pregnancy and the child survives. But anyway, the whole, the whole story is about her trying to reconnect with her daughter. And so it's a, it's a great mother story. Um, so yeah, that, that's it. Uh, I know that was a lot, a, a lot, lot of moms content. to take in there. Um, happy Mother's Day to my mother and my stepmother, yes. and same, to same to, to Mrs. Brantlinger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So we're gonna we're recording this on Mother's Day. We're gonna try to get out get it out uh, tomorrow, which will be the day after. So we're hoping it can be some some nice topical content for you guys. So that is it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Thanks so much as always for listening. If you like what you heard, um, please share this with a friend. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Spread the word. Check out our website at MustGoFasterPod.com. Thanks for listening. And in the words of Sally Field as Mrs. Gump in Forrest Gump. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're gonna get. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're gonna get.